Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Well, hello, Canada. It's Tony here out in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in beautiful, sunny BC. And how are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, although I'm frustrated because we got a big 10-centimeter dump of snow today. And even though it was zero degrees and it was melting, it still made life uh, a little difficult. So I'm, I'm at that point where I'm tired of winter and it's really time for spring. Hence why I moved out of Alberta. <laughs> we have, uh, yep. We have 15 degrees and bright sunshine here today. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I gotta say that 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 does sound really nice. So. Yeah. Anyway, I do find that it I do find that it's making it difficult for some people to stay at home and avoid um, being in places where there's other people. It's um, I drove past our local uh, hotspot for dog walking, and I counted 28 cars. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little so, much. Yeah, but it's, you know, the weather's nice and everything, and people are having a hard time staying indoors now. But, you know, I mean, this isn't over. Just because our numbers have flatlined, like, not sorry, not flatlined, our curve has flat, has, has been flattened. And we in BC actually have fewer cases, like fewer active cases of COVID-19 than we did a week ago. And so we're, but just because those numbers are looking a lot better doesn't mean this is over. No, that's right. Not by a long shot. And uh, especially when you look at the numbers and I'll look and we'll, we'll do our, our quick update here and then we'll get on to some real topics because like i said in the previous show like i'm getting tired of of wall-to-wall coronavirus coverage but i mean it would be you know very disingenuous of disingenuous of us not to at least update some numbers so um currently 16,666 cases um, 3,534 recovered. So what we're dealing with is 12,809 active cases in Canada. 323 people have, have died due to, the, due to the Wuhan virus. So of our 12,809 active cases, 12,383 are considered mild. 426 are considered serious or critical. So now that's 97% of people who have mild cases and that, as we discussed, are those fall into two camps. Either they don't even realize they've got it and they just kind of felt nothing at all or just sort of felt a little off one day or camp B where they felt a little sick for a couple of days with some flu-like symptoms or a little shortness of breath, some chest pains, and got over in a couple of days. Yeah, so, well, I mean, it, it's not even including the people that, that uh, didn't have um, – any symptoms at all because they don't get tested. That, that's true. Yeah, that's right. Because, I mean, people who obviously yeah. didn't feel anything didn't go get tested. So you're right. And exactly. That, and I would say that's actually a, a much larger number of the, of the quote-unquote cases of people who didn't even realize that 
they had anything, and now they have an immunity to something they didn't know they had in the first place. So. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, if you look at, if you look at, um, I don't know if you've seen the video that was put out by on uh, anonymous. Um, no, but yeah, I, I watched a video that was put out by anonymous. I actually watched it about a week and a half ago, and um, they detail on there. Uh, because, you, I mean, if anybody who doesn't know who Anonymous is, it's a hacking group. Um, they, uh, they're they responsible for, uh, you know, unveiling uh, or uncovering um, uh, conspiracies and uh, illegal activity by governments. Um, and one of the, this video, is, they were releasing information that, shows that China uh, knew about this virus way back in September and, oh my. Um, and, and withheld all kinds of information about it. And they said that the virus has been circulating in North America since at least November. So, well, yeah, with lots of travelers, yeah. Yeah, and if it's been circulating around North America since at least November, uh, that means that most likely the majority of us have already been in contact with it. That was sound of reason, yeah. Yeah. So interesting. So I mean, the mortality rate could be even lower than any of us could even thought in the first place, right? Like. They say mortality rate is right around one percent or one point three percent of confirmed cases. But if if I mean it's touched most of, let's say even fifty percent of North America, I mean then the mortality rate is going to be extremely low. But yeah, but one of the one of the uh, uh, I was listening to a infectious disease specialist on another podcast um and he was he finally gave me the answer as to why everybody why the this this pandemic is receiving this kind of response from governments and none of our previous pandemics have and he said and this is an answer i haven't been able to get from anybody and it's a really simple answer and that is that every that every other pandemic, the majority, like the overwhelming majority, most, if not all of the people that came into contact with the pandemic, with a pandemic virus, got sick or showed symptoms. This one, that isn't the case. It's a small percentage of, pe- of the people who come into contact with it that show uh, show any symptoms at all. And because of that, it gets passed around without anybody knowing. And that's why it's getting the response that the governments are giving it. Oh, that's interesting. And I'm actually I'm going to dovetail on what you just said there, because the government's response to this has actually now worked its way into our legal system. And for those of you in Canada or abroad who have not heard, prisoners in Canada have actually been advocating to get in some cases, early release or outright release because they're afraid of contracting the virus in the prison system. And 
the government is actually enabling them to the point where some judges are even starting to change their sentencing on people currently in the, in the legal system to include more house arrest, for example, or more probationary sentencing rather than incarceration. And well, that as you know, the law and order type I am is making my blood boil. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I didn't know that. I knew that they were advocating for early release and, and that, but I didn't know that judges are already sentencing differently because of it. Yeah, it, that, it, it's happened in Ontario. That's bothersome to me. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, I didn't read in the article I was reading, you know, what types of crimes are they're discussing to try to reduce sentencing on or go go easier on so i mean maybe sure it's, it's maybe it's just some people for minor offenses but still you do the time or do the crime do the time yeah i'm i'm sure it's for minor like for non-violent crimes but oh i would assume as much yeah but still i mean that's um it's a little disturbing to hear that it really is yeah like i um my first thought was okay, if you're in prison, you're kind of isolated already. So I guess you stick with the same cellmate or get more people in solitary or whatever. I'm not sure. But I mean, I don't want to make light of the situation. But I mean, if you're in prison, you're already a away from the general population of society. And then uh, my other thought was easier to isolate. Right. Yeah, exactly. And if you get released from prison, I'm where are you going to go? There's no job release where you can go work somewhere. And I guess if your family wants you, then you go isolate with your family. So you're no further ahead because you're still ended up quarantining yourself somewhere. So I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I do know the end game. They want to get out of jail, but I mean, yeah, I'm exactly. sorry, folks. Uh, you, you do the time, do the crime. You do the time guys. Yeah. But it, I mean, it, it's uh, if you're in prison, you're actually easier to isolate. All you have to do is is say that there's no visitors allowed. Um, like there's no, there won't be any visiting days until this is all over, right? And uh, yeah, I mean, I know lawyer, lawyers still need to come in and that, and any new inmates, but maybe those people get tested. Well, yeah, exactly, and you're you're right. I mean, no visitors is exactly what they're doing with uh, with old folks' homes and long term care facilities. Yeah. Like, hey, no visitors, and yeah, so now now they're isolated. So, yeah, there's no reason well, the prisoners couldn't do that. You're right. That's actually a really good good idea. Yeah, my my 90 year old grandmother is in a seniors uh, home, and uh, we're we the only way we can visit with her is if she comes outside. And we remain, they say, you know, they want you to stay six feet away, but we keep 20 feet. Because, right. you know, she's 90. I don't want to take any risks at all. Yeah, exactly. But that's the, Yeah, and that's but that's the only visiting we can do. And it's like, if you get there and there's other people doing the same kind of visiting, there's no more room out there. <laughs> so... It's uh, it's tough because they're they're lonely because they're not even really allowed to mingle within the, the like within the uh, building either. So um, they all kind of have to remain in their rooms. Yeah, well, I'm actually impressed that they even let her go outside and visit with, with you like that because I'm reading stories of uh, people who are allowed to come to the door or window, and then you can visit you know on either side of that window or that door. But the 
not open, of course, so they can't get any open air. So, I mean, that to yeah. me, that's actually a, a very big step that they're letting her come outside to visit you. Yeah, well, and the thing is, I have to, I have to sort out her meds, right? Her medications, because oh. like where she, because where she lives is like it's independent living, so the the staff there won't do her meds. So I have, oh, okay. to. so she has to bring, so she has to bring her meds downstairs, bring them outside, and then I, and then I have to do them out outside there for her, and then she can take them back in. But well, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, I, I think, you know, I think we've pretty much kind of covered the highlights uh, of the day for COVID-19. I think uh, so. You yeah. You had some other things you wanted to talk about. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's actually really sad that you and I have been talking about this for a few months already. And I just finally saw an article in the national post um, this, this past weekend that, about you know concerns that Canadians are going to be facing bankruptcy once the uh, once the whole virus quarantine is over with, and I thought, where have I been hearing that before for the last what was it four months? We've been talking about this now. Yeah, well, we seem to be ahead of the curve on a lot of things. Yeah, so with this one, uh, and the the article was talking about how now uh, five hundred thousand Canadians have now applied for mortgage relief, and. That is only with them. They're just talking with the top six banks in Canada that these 500,000 Canadians are with so that your local credit unions or whatnot aren't included in this number. So just in Canada's top six banks, 500,000 customers have applied for mortgage relief. That's 10% of their total mortgages. Yeah, and that, and that, I believe that that's, that's staggering. That doesn't even, yeah, but that doesn't even include the people that couldn't get through. Um Right, yeah. That's just that's just the ones they were able to accept the applications from. Um, there's still a lot more people that are trying to get it that haven't even been able to get it yet. Right, yeah. And uh, a friend of mine had suggested that, oh, hey, with interest rates and going down, I should go renegotiate my mortgage. And I said, well, good luck to you because the rates are actually going up, not down. And uh well, I mean, I'll, I'll get your insight on that one first, and I probably disagree with what you say, anyways. You're going to disagree or agree? No, I'm sure. I'm sure I'll agree with what you what you say when you say why rates are okay. going up. Well, the reason rates are going up is because of liquidity. The banks don't have the liquidity now. They like, yeah, the rates are down, but they don't have the money to lend out. Well, yeah, and that, and now the risk is greater when you've got. As we've we have said ad nauseum on this show, half of Canadians who are $200 or less away from not paying their bills to now yeah. half of Canadians who can't pay their bills. I mean, there is an intense amount of risk involved in any kind of lending product now. Yeah. Now. Yeah. So it's, there's, it's twofold, right? There's the, uh, there's the fact that the banks aren't they're They're not as liquid as they need to be to be able to loan out this money at low interest rates. And the, uh, and you're right. the, the uh, risk is is quite high right now, which is yeah, why so I'm, I'm actually holding off. I'm holding off on doing my mortgage because my my mortgage is due for uh, re- renewal this year, but not till no, uh, December. So um, I'm actually waiting until this recovery starts again, and the and because the the rates will probably come down at that point because it'll be less risky for the banks to loan out money. 
Yeah, I would suspect that's that's probably true. So no, so that's good. At least you've got some time. Yeah. So now with uh, we could actually go on more about this bankruptcy crisis that's coming up, and I think we'll probably save that for when it it starts to hit. And by no means, Canada, am I trying to stand up on a high horse and say I told you so? Because I mean. I guess even though we did, it's not really something I want to brag about it because a lot of people I know who have lost their jobs are hurting and there's people who have already got their last paycheck from their job and are still waiting for EI or the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit to kick in. And thankfully, there's a lot of landlords who have you know, at least tried to work with people and say, okay, we'll not charge you rent for a couple of months and then amortize it over the rest of your lease or whatever. So at least, at least there is, there is some give and take going on, which I'm glad to hear. Yeah. But really where we need that is with the business community, because you've got restaurants through no fault of their own, for example, who have been shut down, but yet they're still leasing that space in the strip mall or wherever. And they have absolutely no revenue coming in. So if we're going to well, leave them shut yeah. down, and there's some crazy stats around restaurants that I don't know if people realize. Um, first of all, a restaurant profit is about 3% of revenue. Yeah, very low, yeah. The, yeah, it's extremely low, very tight margins. Um, a bad month can ruin a restaurant. And that's why, get this, 70% of new restaurants fail in the first year. Wow. 90% of new restaurants fail in the first five years. That is huge. And now, yeah, and now they've got this to contend with. Restaurants are by no means the only ones. Um, I mean, I'm... but. But they're the ones that are the most visible. Right. Uh, you've got clothing stores that are have problem because they can't be open because they can pass people can pass the virus on just by touching clothing, right? So they're not open. Um, you've got uh, service industry jobs like uh, like like we're still operating. Like my business is still operating, but we're not operating at a very high capacity right now because. People are, uh, you know, they've, I was, like I said on a previous show, I was booked up until the end of the summer. And then within four days, I only had enough work to carry me to the third week of May. Um, and at the moment, I really only have confirmed work until the end of this month with a couple of other confirmed jobs, but I don't have confirmed dates on them. Oh, so boy. it's. Yeah, it's it's it could be ugly for all of us. It's um, so I mean, like just anybody who owns a small business. I mean, we're not rich. Oftentimes, we make around the same as what our highest-paid employees make. I mean, it's we're we're not, you know, like Trudeau wants you to believe that small businesses, small business owners are tax cheats and we're all wealthy but yeah we're not and the help that they've offered is kind of a joke i mean yes 75 percent wage subsidy that will help if you qualify 
but here's the thing like that subsidy is taxable to my business as a tax as income they're counting it as revenue so I'm not actually getting a 75% wage subsidy. I'm getting like a 50% wage subsidy because I have to pay tax on that. And, and then as my member of parliament told me, he said, I, I asked him, I said, you know, if I, if I try to take advantage of this uh, to help my business get through this, is this going to trigger an audit? And he said there is the chance of that happening because CRA might may just do that to make sure that businesses actually qualified like they said they did. And they're gonna next several years auditing all the businesses that accepted help from the government to get through this. And I, I went through an audit last year and it was hell. It was so much hell. It was six months of hell that almost made me quit my business. Like it was so bad i don't ever want to go through that again no i don't blame you and uh what i and i said this in a, in a, one of my rants uh, this past week too is that it's all well and good for the government to say we're here to help except that of course when government is handing money to canadians there's always strings attached like you say it's going to be taxed and not just that it's going to take they don't even know maybe six weeks to get there well if your business is closed down you still got overhead to pay Six weeks, you're looking at at least two pay periods that they're expecting you to pay your employees when you've oh. got no revenue coming in. Yeah, and, three pay periods. Right, yeah. Potentially three and potentially more because they still can't give a firm timeline yet. So then my thinking, I'm not sure if I said this in my rant or not, is that so you expect the businesses to go through this and there's no end date as far as when the employees can come back to work. But when they can, a lot of employees are going to find that they don't have a job to go back to because the business they were working for went broke because they can't wait that long for money. Yeah. Like it's absolutely nope, ridiculous. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, but I mean, this is, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I think if this goes on for another month, another month and a half, even two months, uh, because they're talking that these kinds of, that this shutdown is going to last until end of June. Um, I'd heard that. If that actually plays, if it actually plays out that way, we're in for a world of hurt. Oh yeah. Like, we're the like Canada's going to have minimum 50% of the population declaring bankruptcy, minimum 50% of small businesses declaring bankruptcy. I, it, you're we're going to and then you're going to have the government just printing money like it's going out of style and then we're going to end up be running into hyperinflation and we're we're going to be it's going to be it's going to be really bad like really bad like i don't think people really understand what what no. uh, predicament is going is looking like here no, and what's uh, what's worse, and and we kind of already saw, you know, what could come when the price of oil dropped the last time in Alberta, when the, or not the price of oil, when the oil patch went south in about 2014, and we saw in Alberta what's going to happen nationwide is that, yep, people did go broke, they sold off everything they had to try to stay afloat, and 
when they still couldn't stay afloat, then you saw the rate of suicide spike in Alberta. And I am scared to death, and pardon the pun, but I'm I'm scared to death that we're going to see that happening here nationwide. When you know, when people they've got no hope, they've got no money, they can't afford to live, eat. You know, it's uh, what do they have left? Yeah. Well, and that's what I said before is like, uh, you know, it's you really do have to take into account the economy because and I don't want to sound heartless, but what it's going to make there it's not going to make a damn bit of difference saving saving everybody if there's nothing to come back to. No, that's not heartless. That's just that's the reality of it. Because yeah, I mean, it's because what have we got? We've got, you know, if we do, we're going to end up like Venezuela. I mean, because if if things go south to the point where everybody's going bankrupt, that that just opens the door for a socialist government to come in and 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 just say we're going to take care of you. Well, and, and you know, I I see the rumblings of that already. When I, the I mean, when they talk about this, they increase the child tax credit, for example. They've increased some of these quote unquote entitlements, which we know we're never going to get, you know, cut once the the crisis is over. But I've already read way too many articles saying how this Canadian emergency relief benefit should really just be turn into a universal basic income and i'm like whoa let's put the brakes on that kind of talk right now yeah and because of course yeah well mr singh had talked about that and of course and you know mr singh being the ndp leader say said that well not only should that universal income basic income be be a a thing but also it should be equivalent to 15 dollars an hour just like minimum wage. And, what? I, and I just said, oh, my God, Mr. Singh, I knew you were a nut job, but stop it. Just stop being so Did dumb. He... Okay, forgive me, because I I haven't been paying real close attention to what Jagmeet Singh has to say because he doesn't matter. No, he doesn't. Um, <laughs> and, I've, and I've been focused more on, on saving my business right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what? Did he actually say that? Yeah, it was actually about a month ago he had said that, that yeah, I mean, Canada should really just have a universal basic income to help Canadians out, and it should be based at a $15 an hour rate. And then he had also said that Canada needs a federal $15 an hour minimum wage. And I said, Kate, I realize that you're a lawyer, but you're obviously no businessman. <laughs> so the So the... So someone straight out of high school with no no skills, no nothing would be making 60 grand a year. Well, even the high school dropout, someone who just decides they turn 16, they hate school, they quit. Go on. Well, okay, that's but that's how you instigate hyperinflation. Oh, it yeah. Um so that's that that you know Thirty dollars an hour is going to mean nothing. Uh, it's going to be worth nothing. Well, exactly. Yeah, and uh, well, government. Well, I mean, I've I've said this so many times on the show, and so have you. I mean, governments really suck at anything they do, and 
I mean, governments have they even suck at they even suck at bailouts. They do. They totally suck at bailouts because, like I said, when government wants to hand money out, it always goes wrong, and they always end up spending more well, money yeah. than they wanted to. Well, look what look what Trudeau just did. I mean, he just announced that he was going to uh, give the seniors more money, but but instead of just r- temporarily raising. Uh, OAS, old age security, he gave $10 million or whatever to the United Way to uh, disperse among senior citizens. Well, the United Way is an organization that's got to pay its people. Like the majority of that, like half, I don't know what the United Way is, but uh, or what their uh, costs versus how much money actually makes it to the end uh, goal is but i know that most charities are between like 60 to 80 percent of the money they raise goes to operating costs yeah exactly so so if you're giving that money to the united way 60 to 80 percent of that isn't even getting to the seniors no that's right so I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why involve a third party in this? Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're right. They could very simply have just said, yep, we'll increase old age security or your CPP rates or something. But no, no, they're giving money to the United Way. And then they're giving money to uh, to, to uh, the big cities, food banks. And that I'm not actually as opposed to because, you know, now people aren't donating as much. So. Yeah, someone's got to step in. But, yeah, governments, well, I mean, this this government in particular, I mean, it, it ruins everything it touches. But when I hear Mr. Singh talking about this universal basic income and the $15 minimum wage, it just, uh, it makes me really glad that his hands are so far away from the reins of power that, it, that we can at least poke fun at him and laugh because it's hopefully not a reality, anything that he says. Yeah, I mean, it's such a ridiculous thing to say. I mean, I mean, any like, don't these people crack open a history book? Like, <laughs> like every single time that something like that has been tried, millions of people die. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, you know, and obviously, you and I are biased, but conservatism works. It actually does because it works in that it puts people to work, and conservative governments tend actually to bring taxes down and balance budgets at the same time. So I mean, I hate to plug my own ideology folks, but conservatism right. actually works. Yeah. If, if done properly. The, it, yeah, because, that's right. Because oftentimes once a conservative uh, party becomes the ruling party, uh, they don't, they don't uh, run a conservative government. I mean, you saw that with Mulroney. Oh, I mean, definitely. He 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 totally abandoned conservative values when he became prime minister, um, which is why I've never understood why liberals hate him so much because he was a liberal. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean he he was conservative by name only, but um, it it I mean Harper. Harper did exactly what a conservative prime minister should have done. Um, he spent money when the economy was in the toilet and 
we needed some kind of uh, a stimulus. And when things got better, that budget got cut back and cut back and cut back until finally the last, what, two years, uh, they were running surpluses. Um, yeah, no, exactly. So, I, yeah, and I mean, he handed Trudeau uh, a surplus and Trudeau immediately just spent the cupboards dry. I mean... Yeah, exactly. thirty billion dollar deficits every year. I mean, it just I. <laughs> and remember, we were talking when we first started this show. We we first we were talking, and, and I do you remember when I said to you, "What's he gonna do when the economy actually tanks?" Yeah, because he's spending all this money. He's going thirty billion dollars in debt every year while. The economy is good. What's he going to do when we go into a recession? Is he going to double down? And those are my exact words from that time. And it looks like he's quadrupled down. Well, yeah. <laughs> and what's really sad is that Bill Morneau, every day, I mean, I haven't uh, listened to an update from him in the last few days, but up until that point, he would every day he would make a speech, he would always start by saying, oh, Canada's balance sheet is the envy of the world. And it's like, how can we be the envy of the world when you're tacking on an extra hundred billion to our debt this year alone? So, <laughs> yeah, no, I know that every time, like when I, every time he came on the TV and he started his press conference with, with that, I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to throw up. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I would just change the channel because I couldn't even stand to listen to the guy. Well, exactly. Yeah. So, all right. So anyway, um, I know you're going to have to go right away. So I want to, wrap this up just by sort of dovetailing on this and so now not just was Jagmeet Singh talking about a $15 hour minimum wage I've now uh, just read over the weekend suggestion that well we were recognizing now that our grocery store workers are heroes you know and and perhaps they deserve a $15 an hour minimum wage and I thought am I the only person in this country left who believes in the free market um, no, because I'm here too. Okay, well, um, at least there's two of us. <laughs> yeah, there's two of us. Um, no, I mean, okay, let's not get ridiculous here. Yes, the grocery store workers are working through some tough times. Does not make them heroes. Exactly. I'm sorry, it does not make them heroes. Uh, truck drivers are working through some difficult times right now. I'm sorry, but it does not make them heroes. And I know you used to be a truck driver, but I'm not. And I and yes, I am. I am calling you not a hero. Yeah, so, and I'm not by any means. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, but truck drivers are not heroes. They're doing their job exactly. Um, and honestly, the only ones that I am comfortable calling heroes at this moment are medical staff and, and not just nurses and doctors, but also the people who have to, you know, the janitorial service that are cleaning the hospitals through all this. Right. The front desk workers who have to work through this. They're all, I, again, they're just, they're doing their jobs. They're doing what they, what they went to school for. So 
are they heroes? Eh, I have a hard time calling them heroes because heroes are the people that heroes are people that go above and beyond any expectations that are ever put on them to, uh, you know, they, they'd go to extraordinary measures. Uh, and are they, are dirt nurses and doctors going beyond the expectations? No, because they're expected to do this work, but they could easily walk away and quit. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's true. I, I am comfortable calling them heroes. You're right. The medical staff, I am very comfortable saying that our doctors, our nurses, without a doubt, they're heroes because they always have been as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I think the analogy that I gave, I was talking to actually a coworker about this, and it is said, if you really want to say that the grocery store workers and the truck drivers are heroes, we'll just wait until you see Mark Wahlberg play one in a movie. Well, that's not going to happen anytime soon. So uh, let's not pretend these people are heroes. <laughs> 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 yeah like, no i mean yes they're doing their they're they're doing their job they're doing it behind plexiglass whatever whatever they have to do to make them safe great i'm happy to do that but they're not heroes no i mean so, am i happy that they're still working absolutely but i mean I, i'm i'm still working too and i'm not certainly uh gonna over inflate the the importance of my job because i'm just glad i have one <laughs> well but let's let's look at this okay if if grocery store cashiers decide to just say you know what screw this i'm out of here i'm not putting myself in danger anymore right there is going to be a lineup of people that want to replace them oh yeah but if nurses and doctors said screw this i'm out of here you wouldn't have anybody lining up to take over for them <laughs> like no exactly. because that, that job right now is extremely dangerous it is yeah and actually the medical professional doc, doctors in particular um i just learned on the weekend to start with uh, that doctors are actually among the oldest professions in canada as in our doctors are above the average age that you know, most professions have and yeah. that there's, you know, still not enough new younger doctors coming into the system. So I guess no, I'm exactly. really happy for the ones we have. Yeah. And the, but the problem is, is that like you said, most like the average age of a doctor is quite high in Canada and they're, they're getting close to, or they are in that vulnerable category for this virus. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I want to stand up. I'm, I can't because I'm driving, but <laughs> I want to stand up. I want to stand up and give a standing ovation to our uh, medical services and, the, and everybody who works in them. And like I said, not just the doctors and nurses, but lab technicians. And the ones, you know, the lab technicians are the ones that are performing the tests. And... Uh, and the uh, and the front desk workers and the cleaning staff and all of those people, they're all doing a stupendous job. And oh, they are. They and actually, uh, I'm not sure if they did this. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, I'm not sure if they did this in 
in your part of BC. I know in Vancouver they were doing some uh, applause, and here in Saskatoon on the weekend, there was actually a convoy of police cars and other emergency vehicles buzzed uh, two of our local hospitals with lights and sirens, and people, you know, uh, were just cheering and shouting out for the, the the staff inside the hospitals. And I thought that was actually quite a, a touching gestures. Yeah, you can actually see a video on uh, YouTube of uh, of them doing a salute like a the emergency medical like emergency services uh doing like a parade around the um uh the Royal Inland Hospital in Kamloops. Oh. And there's footage of it on YouTube that was taken by uh a helicopter that was flying over it. And it's it's really it's really heartwarming and touching. Oh good. No, and it's and it's good like like you say, I mean they do deserve the recognition and they would be the only ones in this crisis that I would attach the the hero label to because I I typically kind of look at our our doctors as being heroes to begin with and first responders yes. and that's about the only you know regular Joe quote unquote professions that I usually attach that label to and that's probably going to continue yeah yeah firefighters and all those first responders that, and cops and exactly and our military and and all of that, that and and honestly like I um. I'm like, there's people in my family that work in the medical field and it's, it's, uh, you know, you, you just, every day, you just kind of hope that they're coming home healthy. Right. And, uh, so yeah, I just, like I said, they have my respect and my, uh, admiration and, um, I hope everybody stays safe and, uh, and we get through this without too much, pain and and too much anguish and uh hopefully not a whole lot more death yeah i hope for the same and um i think that that's probably a good spot for us to wrap the show up on here is uh just to i guess the best i can do to encourage you canada and anybody else listening is to say that we will get through this and i think i i believe in all and from the bottom of my heart that we're going to come through the other side of this stronger and as you had said one time, I think we, I'm not sure if it was on a show or when we were just texting back and forth, that you had said, I mean, there's going to be a completely different society on the other side of this. And I think it's going to be a better one. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, yes, I did say that we're going to have a different society, that we could actually be seeing the end of many countries uh, as we know them. Um, but... Uh, I think we're at the beginning of a major historical event. And I think that uh, we're, we, it's possible that we'll come out of this better than ever. Like, well, not better than ever financially, but better than ever as a society. But we could also uh, come out of this in the midst of chaos. Um, and, there will be chaos, no question. But I, yeah, I think we're going to come yeah. out stronger. Well, I hope you're right, and uh, and I hope I'm wrong, because I, I honestly I don't see a lot of good uh, down the road. I see a lot of pain, and I see a lot of bankruptcies, and I see a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of anguish in that. That I I, I mean I, I really hope I'm wrong, but I 
I don't know. Well, you're not wrong about that. I mean, there's there's no question that we're going to come out of this with, you know, in the short term, a lot of bankruptcy, a lot of pain, um, a lot, probably like we haven't seen in at least our lifetimes anyway. And, you know, you and I are in our 40s. And yeah. but I think we're going to we'll get through it. I mean, it's going to be tough, but we'll uh, we'll prevail. Yep. All right. Well, it was good talking to you, buddy. You too. And, um, and good talking to you, Canada. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether it's on Anchor.fm or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you found us. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Until the next yeah, time, it's uh, Tony here in Saskatchewan. And it's Lewis out here in BC. And I just wanted to say one last thing before we signed off, and that is that uh, uh, our numbers, our listening numbers, our listenership is going up quite quickly. And we're very, very appreciative of that. So thank you very much. And uh, tell your friends and family to listen to us. Well said. Thank you, Canada. And good night. and Tony.